All right, thank you, sir. Good morning, everyone. Nice sense of excitement, encouragement here today. And uh, thank you, worship team, for a great job this morning. Amen. Front row people right here. All right. <laughs> you like me. No one else does. Anyway, so glad you're up here and glad you're with us today. Um, I was thinking about the worship and I was listening to Mike pray. Did you notice Mike praying? You didn't notice Mike praying? He said, I don't, I don't know if I want to know me. Huh? I don't either, Mike. No, I mean, here's the deal. When we really know ourselves, right? That's some of what uh, he was praying into and is really relevant to what we're saying this, uh, this morning. Our, uh, our message this morning is called Future Shock. Anybody recognize that name? Yeah, we'll show it to you later. I'll, I'll show you where it came from. It's, I have an asterisk. You know what that means. I stole it. I stole the title. Sometimes things are shocking that we wouldn't expect to be, but they just are. I was thinking a while back here, some of you know I'm a... Uh, anybody else here an only child? Oh, wait, let me pray for all of you. Lord, grace. My mom is in her 90s. You know, she's still very independent, still drives. She's serving at the church over at Fishkill, our, our sister church. And um, a while back here, now I don't use her as an illustration very often unless it's really, really positive because I know she'll hunt me down. But a few months back, she, um, it was summer, it was a very hot season, and um, she was having trouble breathing, and it got so bad that they took her by ambulance, and in the hospital, they're checking, and they're thinking, we're not really sure there's anything wrong. And uh, she's had a triple bypass, it was an emergency, that was over 15 years ago, the doctor said, it's good for 10 years, the warranty has run out, so we're always on edge a little bit. Any of you have warranties on those things? You know what I mean, uh, Ben. <clears throat> Not to mention any names. But anyway, we were shook, of course. We went and checked on her, and uh, a friend in the church, thankfully, got there first and went up into her apartment. The temperature in her apartment was 197. I'm, I'm exaggerating by about 100 degrees. That was the problem. Sometimes, if we are not careful about the means that God has provided for us to take care of ourselves, we can have a shock, right? And uh, it was a simple solution. We opened windows or we got the air, which she has wonderful air conditioning units, and we actually used them. All of a sudden, she could breathe. Some of us, when we get older, we're cold all the time. You know what I mean. My mom tends to be, and so that's what would happen. I also remember another story way, way, way back. That was a negative shock. Way back, my aunt and uncle, they were in mission work. I've mentioned them before. And uh, my aunt had a back problem, her lower back, and she was literally walking for, I don't know, I think it was over a year, on angle like this and having a terrible time and uh, struggling, and went to a chiropractor, and boom! All of a sudden, she was walking normally, and normalcy felt like a shock. Are you getting my drift? Okay. 
But why does it happen? There are means to solve some of these things, but we have to make use of them. Have to make use of them. So what I want to talk about today is, and if you're a note taker, you've got places for notes. The first fill in there is the word is a means of grace. Have you ever heard that expression? Means of grace means what God has provided for us to help us accomplish certain things. If you don't eat, what happens? Well, it depends on how long. If you're fasting, you know, for God and uh, and for the right reasons, you can go without food for a while. You can go without water less. You can only go so long. I think my longest fast was seven days straight, a whole week. Um, And then you're ready to eat. And if you keep doing that, what happens? You give out, right? If you don't drink, you get dehydrated. There's means given to us. God's designed us to need those things to keep us going. This is not profound, right? Why did you come this morning just to hear this? It's like we know all that. Can we go home now? No, your kids are downstairs. You can't go anywhere. Let me show you something from a book. I've put it up before, but it's been a long time. Mel Lawrence wrote a book on spiritual formation. Don't get thrown off by that word. That's become a buzzword today. It means, ooh, you're into weird stuff. Yeah, I am into weird stuff. I want to be a follower of Jesus, and I want to look like him. That's weird in our culture, right? Spiritual formation is the progressive patterning of our person's inner, get this, inner and outer life. According to the image of Christ, not according to the church people you may know. They may have it right, they may have it wrong. You better start patterning yourself after the image of your Savior through intentional, what's the word there? Means of spiritual growth, the means of grace that God has provided for us, right? The means of grace. By the way, can I park there for just a second? A person's inner and outer life. That's where it gets interesting. We can control the outer pretty good. Have a pretty good presentation, right? Outside, oh, he's such a nice person. Then you read about him in the paper and some disasters happen and all the neighbors say, oh, he was such a nice, he seemed like a really kind, blah, 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 blah. The outer looks one way, the inner Both of them have to match when you're really growing as a disciple. And I would dare to say that most of us skip on the first one, the inner transformation. We can be nice at church and crab all the way home about that person that torqued our shorts, right? In church, one of our brothers or sisters, perhaps something like that. So those are the means of grace. They're designed to help us walk in spiritual growth. And uh, there are two biggies in our passage. We've been going through a series in the book of Hebrews, kind of an unusual study. And I'm going to preach through the whole book of Hebrews, so I'll be here till like 2029, I think, at the rate we're going. But if you want to turn with me, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, I'm going to read them to you. Two biggies are means of grace in this particular passage. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm actually going to, can we put that on the screen? I think I've got it, yeah. Just two verses. We read it all last week. I just want to park on two verses. In fact, it's such an excellent verse 
it could be a memory verse for you if you've never, mem never memorized it. So why don't we read it together? Is that okay? And if you're like nervous doing that, you don't have to. But let's read it together. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And all of God's people said, Amen. that is the word of the Lord, right? And that last one, all things are naked. Pull the covers down. What's there? God sees it all. That's central to the whole concept. And we'll come back to the first verse in just a few minutes, verse 12. I want to unpack it a little bit. But let me just mention a couple of things about the means of grace. Here are two major means of grace in this text. First, we see the Word of God, and so the worship was wonderfully wrapped around the subject of the Word of God this morning. Do you notice that? Word of God speak. Jesus is called the Word of God because he's the ultimate communication of God to us. You want to know what God would look like? There he is. If he were to be human, there he is because he is. He took on flesh. But the Word of God, as we know it, revealed in Scripture is also alive and active because God identifies himself with his word and breathes life through it into people. Sometimes he breathes judgment. The word is one. The very next bunch of verses, for those of you who actually opened it up, talk about our great high priest Jesus, and because he intercedes for us, it tells us at the end of the chapter, let us therefore draw near with confidence. Remember that? We can put that one down, by the way. Let us draw near with confidence. In other words, prayer. So what are two huge means of grace? Prayer. You win the prize. The word and prayer. If you can't meet, let's say we're persecuted. Suppose it breaks out in America. It'll break out in New York first, I'm sure. But suppose that happens and you can't meet publicly. You can still pray and you can still be in the word of God, right? And we have the wonderful blessing of access to the printed word of God, which many peoples never did. So we're blessed. There are other means of grace. Anybody want to guess what they are? Fellowship is one of the means of grace. Sometimes, as Bonhoeffer said, the word of Christ in your brother is stronger than the word of Christ in you. I need another person to speak life into me because I'm struggling and I can't see it, I can't feel it. And suddenly another brother or sister speaks life to us. What else? That's it? We're all done? Communion, means of grace, right? Obedience to his commands, the gathering of the saints, what we did this morning. Have you ever been ministered to by the Holy Spirit by what you're singing? It's a means of grace. I'm going to digress for a moment. I know I never do that. But I gave myself permission this morning to look at um, a couple of books that I have uh, of the old Puritans and their writings. Joseph Elaine, back in the 1600s, these men would write, A Sure Guide to Heaven. Anybody wondering? I'll loan it out to you. You have to give it back. Okay, A Sure Guide to Heaven. 
there's a little section in here that reminded me of uh, uh, Dr. Ashley's message a few, well, it was back, back a while when you talked about one of your values is worship, not missing worship. I know I'm meddling right now on purpose. Because in his book, A Sure Guide to Heaven, one of the things he describes is what are the marks of the unregenerate? What is the evidence that a person doesn't know God? I'm just going to read it. All that do ordinarily live in the profane neglect of God's worship, that do not hear his word, that do not call on his name, that restrain prayer before God, that do not mind their own nor their family's souls. Think about that. They don't care. Doesn't matter where they end up. Well, that's because it's not real to you at all. Why would it matter? But live without God in the world. That was an example. And I thought, I wonder how often believers are indistinguishable. The priority of using that opportunity for God to minister grace to me. So I don't like to miss it. Whether I'm preaching or not, doesn't matter. So, we, I'm going, we just read the passage together. The means of grace that we're talking about in particular today is the powerful word of God. Can we put verse 12 up again, Ryan? Thank you for flexing with me. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Isn't that a powerful, powerful description, right? I guess most of you aren't that sure. Let me unpack a few of the words. If you're following along with me, living and active. Living, alive, energetic is the Greek word. Accomplishing things, making things happen. Piercing, as far as the division of soul and spirit. Piercing is a different word than what you're, you might be thinking about. Going down and separating joints and marrow, which, by the way, don't touch. So it can't mean that. It's more of the concept of penetrating, opening up. In other words, I'm wondering what's going on under the skin, and I'm having surgery, and they cut it open. You know what I'm talking about. The doctor slices it open and goes, oh, there's the problem. It becomes obvious. It opens it up. It pierces and penetrates and opens it up so that an assessment can be made. And the word that comes up a little bit later, able to judge the thoughts, Literally, critiques. Critiques your thoughts. That's a good thought. That's a really naughty thought. It critiques your thoughts. You know all the... Well, Jim Carrey was one of the movies, right? Liar, liar. You know what I'm talking about? I, ne I never watch movies like that. <laughs> but... Oh, but uh, Derek... True to form, I have a 1980s video clip this morning. I just wanted to show you how relevant I am, that I listened to your sermon and what you said about me. But I'll be getting there in a few minutes. Not yet. <laughs> Where was I? I had too much fun with that. Yes, what would it be like if every thought you really had had to come out of your mouth? Yikes! I know one thing, I wouldn't have lasted six years. <laughs> You'd all be saying, get him out of here. <laughs> no one else in the room has that problem, just me. You all get what I'm saying. 
Why is it that we slide into unbelief and don't think God's keeping an assessment of all that? What? I often have people ask, can Satan read your mind? And I go, who cares? Who cares if he can? I don't think he can. I think he can put stuff into your mind. He's got that power. And I think he can pick up the vibes. Like you can smell fear. Animals can smell fear. I think he can pick up the vibes that you're having a little bit of a naughty thought. And he's going to feed it, baby. So that was a little demonology on the side, okay? That was extra. Free. Critiques, the spirit, the word of God living through, the, the Holy Spirit working through the word critiques our thoughts. So soul and spirit can be separated. What is that talking about? The word soul is psyche in the Greek, which is a person, their being. The other word is pneuma, from which we get pneumatic. It's the spirit. Okay, I'm going to tell you what I think. It basically said um, other scholars could argue they're free to be wrong. That was a joke. Some pe- I've actually had people come, you're arrogant. You really believe that? No, that was a joke. Sometimes I am arrogant. I heard that. Takes one. Oh, anyway. So, we're friends, thank God. Okay. It separates my apology. Yours too. Anyway, so here we go. It separates the old man from the new man. Oh, that's the thinking of my dead carnal life, my pre-Christian life. This is the thinking of the spirit. Don't we need that? Because sometimes it gets a little blurry. Anybody ever had that? Is this the Holy Spirit prompting me or is this the enemy prompting me? It separates The word of God will help me separate my ideas, my considerations, my imaginations from the promptings and good things of the spirit. My intent, my attitude, where I park. You know how we park in a place where we resolve, I'm going to do that. The resolution, if the resolution is not from God, it helps uncover that. The word helps uncover it. Yes, ma'am. No, the soul is the real person. And by the way, they're synonymous in certain contexts in the scripture. Some people fuss over whether it's uh, uh, body, soul, and spirit, or is it just body and spirit? I think we're spiritual and physical. But the spiritual part has our old nature still in it, our spiritual being, and also the Holy Spirit, the new man is being made in us. Not the Holy Spirit, but the new Jesus being made in us, the new man. Okay, did that help? Okay. By the way, we take questions here. For those of you who are new, what just happened? This is not a normal church service. It's not very reverent. They even laugh here. That's right. Labor. I'd rather have you understand what I'm teaching than just go, yeah, we get it. Let's get out of here. (laughs) Leave me alone. Anyway, here's one interesting last phrase. At the end of the verse able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Everything is laid bare. Is that in the next verse? Yeah, I think it's in the next verse. Yes, laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Very interesting expression. It means naked or exposed. It's a descriptor that was used in 
biblical times when a person was at the end, they pull his head back and they take a knife. You get it? Total vulnerability. Totally vulnerable. I'm, my life's in your hands. Brothers and sisters, that's what God's looking for in his people. Vulnerability. You can speak to me, Lord. You can correct me. You can rebuke me as necessary. The great expositor F.F. Bruce, writing in Hebrew, says this. The word of God probes the inmost recesses of our spiritual being and brings the subconscious motives to light. Oh, I know why I volunteered for that committee or that ministry. I like the chick that was there. I wanted to pick her up. That was so crass. That never happens in church. Oh, yes, it does. And by, by the grace of God, lots of people get saved that way. You know? So it's not right. I'm just telling you. Okay. The word of God digs down into the recesses of our spiritual being and brings the subconscious motives to light. Hence, my title based on this book, Future Shock. Anybody know about that one? Remember it? It's back 70s, I think. It was written in the 70s. They've got a new cover on it because I guess they're still selling it. But what it was talking about, Alvin Toffler was talking about the way information was increasing so rapidly that it was putting us into crisis. And, and it has put us into crisis. Look at how we deal with our socialization today. We're glued to a telephone so that we can't even see people. We're just, it's too much, I can't take it all in, so I have to go lock in somewhere. And we're not always locking in in the healthiest places, right? So with that in mind, talking about future shock. First we talked about the word being the means of grace. Now I want to talk about future shock. And the way I'll open this up is indulging in a 1980s movie, very spiritual movie called The Never-Ending Story. It's a great movie, right? It really was. And I, I actually can recommend it. But we have a video clip. I just want you to think about what you're seeing. You could do with a dose of juicy vitamins, too. He made it. But oh. Failed. He made it through the Can you pause that for one second? He made it. Our hero, Atreyu, is trying to get through a quest. And he had to pass through these sphinxes who would blow him up if he didn't have confidence in himself. And at the last second, they fire at him, but he makes it through. And that's why this little gremlin is going crazy. But he's not dead, done being tested. Thank you, Ryan. Oh, I said he could do it. Oh, good. <laughs> But that's no reason for you to fall out of the basket again. Oh, I knew he would be safe. Nonsense! You don't understand anything. The worst one is coming up. Next is the magic mirror gate. Atreo has to face his true self. So what? That won't be too hard for him. Oh, that's what everyone thinks. But kind people find that they are cruel. Brave men discover that they are really cowards. Confronted with their true selves, most men run away 
screaming. <sighs> Confronted with their true self, most men run away screaming. We like to communicate in our family with movie quotes. We're dysfunctional. My wife always quotes them wrong. But I always know what she's talking about, so we always... It's just kind of a humorous thing. She says, most men run from themselves screaming in terror or running in the opposite direction. That's how you always quote it. And I say, no, screaming. And she goes, oh, yeah, you knew what I meant. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Doesn't the Bible talk exactly like this? Look at this verse. You'll recognize it. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was or how ugly or whether he's got something hanging out of his nose or whatever. Seriously. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. By the way, that's this. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, Letting it do its work, let me put it that way, let it do its searching, its correcting, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Now think about doing. What if it's simply, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ? I've never done that. I think I'm just an accident here on the planet. No, we've sung an awful lot this morning about how much God loves us. We miss that because the liar tells us it's not true. Maybe that's what I have to obey. And if I obey what it says, I get blessed in my response. If I discover some other area that the Spirit is pushing on, I get blessed in my response. So the mirror picture is in the scripture that we look into the mirror and we see whether we have defects. We see whether we need to wash our face. We are able to see what, in fact, is broken. I had this thought come to me this morning as we were singing those songs and I was pondering where we were going together in the scripture. And I remember a, a seminary um, president named Earl Rodmacher. You remember Earl Rodmacher? He told a great story one day. They used to, the students used to call him Earl the Pearl. And, he was, and it was all kind. He was great. And he was telling a story about how one day he had picked up one of our um, most famous conservative Baptist missionaries. I don't think anybody here would be old enough to remember Dr. Eric Frickenberg. But he was, he was good. And um, he had a little book of his quips that the CBs printed out called Cheerio and Carry On. And he had all these little quips in his book and loved the Lord and served him as a missionary for years. And he was home speaking. And Dr. Rodmacher was taking him to an event where he was going to speak. And Earl was in a hurry. And so he was kind of sliding through stop signs and... Mm, the yellow almost into the red light, and Dr. Frickenberg was reacting a little bit, and he goes, well, you know we're on God's business, so it's okay. And Dr. Frickenberg looked at him and said, you're breaking the law, and that's sin. Earl the Pearl said, that touched my button. <laughs> Meaning, the light came on. Here's an area I'm not paying attention to and I'm sinning. 
<coughs> Sorry. I have a couple of uh, last portions I wanted to mention. Meditating, really burying myself, if I, if I may put it this way, digging into the word and letting the word speak to me rather than just doing my duty. Saints Everlasting Rest by one of my favorite authors, Richard Baxter, wrote the Reformed pastor, and he wasn't talking about Reformed, Dutch Reformed churches. He was talking about the pastor being Reformed, which we all should be Reformed. The nature of heavenly contemplation with time, place, and frame of mind most suited to it. Many faithfully perform their duties. Let me read this to you. The duty which I press upon you so earnestly and in the practice of which I am now to direct you is set the set and solemn acting of all your powers of your soul in meditation upon your everlasting rest. Many faithfully perform other duties, easily neglect this. They are troubled if they miss a sermon. Or a prayer meeting. Well, not so much today. But you can understand. Fill in the blank. Maybe there's some meeting or group thing that matters a lot to you. You're upset if you miss it. But here's his point. They're troubled about that. Yet they are not troubled that they have omitted meditation perhaps all their life. Though it is that duty by which all other duties are improved. By which the soul digests truth for its nourishment and comfort. It was God's command to Joshua, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Meditate on it. As digestion turns food into nourishment for the body, so meditation turns the truths received and remembered into warm affection, firm resolution, and holy lifestyle. You got to digest. Yeah, it's a mouthful, right? I should have put it on the screen because it's too much to take in. But the point is simply this. Do I do more than just read through the daily bread or I read my chapter today? Do I think about what I'm reading or am I just doing a religious exercise that's not ever changing anything? Nothing's really being impacted or my soul isn't being fed by it or encouraged by it. I, um, those of you who know, I, I uh, help teach karate. I've been, I've been um, helping in the school lunchroom. Thank God no one's gotten sick yet. That's right. And, uh, but I, all the kids go by and they go, you're the karate teacher. And I go, yeah, I guess so. And uh, <laughs> that's true. Our instructor tells us, if you will quiet yourself for two minutes a day, it'll change you. Two minutes, sit still. Now, he's got his way of looking at it, and, you know, I've got a believing way of looking at it, but the point I'm making is he's saying, if you will just quiet yourself for two minutes a day, it'll have an impact. How much more the grace of God if you'll make use of the means of grace? But we're so busy. That's the problem. And I shared from uh, John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted, about the spiritual disciplines using the means of grace. A long time ago, I've mentioned it, that he went to a guru, a spiritual guru, and said, you know, what do I do to improve my spiritual life and my preaching ministry? And his response was, you must remove all hurry from your life. And 
John Ortberg said, ooh, that's a good one, and he wrote it down, and then he looked up and said, what else? And the man said, there is nothing else. Wow, that, I hate preaching that, because, mm, you know what I'm saying? So, taking the time to let the word of God sort us out, to divide the motives where we're parked, how unchristlike I realize my thinking is sometimes. Huh? I'm the only one with this problem. I'm really sorry about that. I tried to tell you not to hire me. Anyway, in this wonderful little book, The Calvary Road, here's the descriptor about u- utilizing, letting the Word of God minister to us. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, right? Scripture says that. To walk in the light is the opposite of walking in darkness. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Baptist preachers, by the way, one of my favorites, defines it in one of his sermons as, get this, the willingness to know and to be known. I want to know. Mike, I want to get to know you in spite of what you prayed, okay? But willingness to be known as well. And doing that with God, I want to know God and I want to be known by God and let him sort my stuff. As far as God is concerned, this means that we are willing to know the whole truth about ourselves. Eek! I might run from the mirror screaming. Don't you like that little guy? I like him. Oh, Mr. Inglenook. Anyway, you have to see the movie. It's too much fun. We have to be willing to know the whole truth about ourselves. We need to be open to, here's the, here's the hard word, conviction. <clears throat> Stab. When uh, Earl Rodmacher said, that touched my button, my descriptor is, <clears throat> that's what it feels like to me. It just, oh, I'm guilty. So we're talking about shock, future shock. And we looked at James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, as the mirror reflects back to us. The word of God is like that mirror that shows us where our thoughts and intents are messed up. Go to number two, future shock. Future shock will happen, friends. It's totally up to you how you want it to happen. It will happen, here's your fill-in, now or... That was hard, wasn't it? Now or it's going to happen. Now or later. It has to. Think about the, uh, the exhortation of this chapter where it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Do you know what portion he's specifically referring to? It was earlier in the passage in chapter 4. It's quoting from Psalm 95. Can I, in, would you indulge me this morning? Turn with me to Psalm 95 in your uh, Bibles. It's 609 if you have this one. 609, page 609. If you're not familiar with the scripture, that's okay. We try to make it user friendly for you. Page 609, Psalm 95. And he's saying that the Word of God is living and active, energetic, working stuff in us. And he's referring to this psalm. Yes, there can be the conviction side. That's why down here it says in verse 8, 
Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa, in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation. They bugged the daylights out of me. That's my translation. I don't know if God ever says it that way, but that's what it says. And said that they are a people who err in their heart. They do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter my rest. Yikes. So that's a conviction side. But brothers and sisters, the grace of God, the means of grace, the word of God also speaks life to us. It also, not only judgment or warning, it also speaks life and affirmation. Isn't that cool? Look at the beginning of the psalm. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. That sounds like rotten living, doesn't it? I hate being a Christian. I got to go to church and sing joyfully. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Why? Because God is really cool. That's an understatement, right? Even awesome doesn't work anymore. He's outstanding. That's my favorite new word. He's in a class of his own. Great king above all gods in whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are also his. Sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Kneel before the Lord. Who is he? Our maker. For he is our God. Here's the good part. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Do you get the picture? The shepherd, the good shepherd, gathering his sheep, loving his sheep. Protect, that's what the shepherd did. He protected his sheep, made sure they had food. Isn't that good news? So the word of God that Hebrews 4 is talking about is specifically quoting this chapter, telling you, yeah, there's a warning, don't harden your heart, but also, you're his precious children. That's good news. And something I know even Christians struggle with. How can I be sure? Does he really? I know he has to love everybody. I've told you before, I struggled with that. My rejection complex from my upbringing. I know God loves everybody. He's got to love The Christians in particular, they're in his family. He loves them. So he loves me because he has to. Right? Nobody else in this room has ever thought that. But do he, does he really? Does he really? Love me? Care about me? Do I really love him? I remember the day that the Holy Spirit brought scripture to my mind, Jesus saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and it was like a bulb went on. I keep your commandments. I do love you. I mean, I really do. It was like, woohoo! I got something right. I won't let it go to my head. Future shock, now or later. Come on, let's be honest. There's a risk if you put yourself at exposure, vulnerability before God. There's a risk. It might shock you. Do you remember when Isaiah had a vision of the Lord and lights came on for him and here's what he said. Woe is me, I am ruined. I, I should get fried by lightning right now on the spot. I'm a dead man where I stand because I am a man of unclean lips. He doesn't say I, just that I live among all those rotten people who use dirty language and say blasphemous things, and I've picked up a little of that. Has that ever happened to you? 
Yes, it does. People of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Whoa, that was shock. That was a shock. That's a here and now shock. That's present. Now. Better to have that happen. Anybody know what happened right after that verse? What happened? Yes, a seraphim comes, takes a hot coal from the altar, purifies his lips. Now speak for me. Isn't that absolutely astounding? He takes broken, dirty, rotten, motivated people, touches them with a burning coal of holiness, and starts to use them. What? Sounds like you earlier. You should have preached the sermon today. Am I right or wrong? I'd rather have the shock now. Let's get it over with because here's what the scripture tells us. He knows our deed. Everything is naked before him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may be recompensed. Right? Let me read it another way from Romans chapter 2. Paul says this, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus. I don't know how it is. I know when the VCR was invented, that was a miracle to us, right? Didn't have to wait for broadcast television like a VCR, playing a tape back. We were in Tucson, Arizona when they were made popular and the people with money in my church had them. And so I would loved it when I got invited over to watch a rental movie. And good old Al Beard, man, he would, eat, he would get a can like this of jalapenos and eat them like popcorn. That's a little side visual. Now, I just lost everybody, right? <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't do that. But we had a blast watching those videos you know, you could make your own videos when Bobbin, our grandfather, our kid's grandfather, got himself one of them honkers like, now you got a phone. I tell you, life is so boring today. Back then it was fun, you know, you're dealing with this big thing. And you could watch videos of your kids running around like crazies, you know, you could do that. I don't know how God's going to do it, but friends... The secrets of man's heart, not just his actions, but what's been in here. The dividing asunder of motivations. He knows you're just putting on an act. He knows you secretly hate your brother or sister. He knows it. You have a choice. Shock now or shock later. It's up to you. Some of you who know me well know that I'm a bit of a history buff on revival, which is when the church is enlivened to become normal. The church becomes alive and normal. They actually talk about Jesus. Some of you are starting to do that. You better watch it. You might get crazy here. Revival is when the church is normal. And the world goes, look at them. Look how they love each other. Look at that. They talk to me about Jesus. That's all they have. Shut up about it already. That's, how they, that's what happens. And they come under conviction. That's revival. Here's one definition of revival that I've always loved. Revival is bringing sin to judgment before the judgment. Bring your sin to judgment. I'd rather get cleaned up now. I don't want to be in the big room 
when that video plays back, and it's going to play back, brothers and sisters, the only hope we have is that we'll all be perfected and we won't be naughty about it. But the fact is, my wife always loves to say, people say, well, wait till Jesus comes. He's going to straighten you out. And my wife always says, we're all going to be on our faces in dread terror because he's God. He's not your buddy. He's God. Revival. He's made himself our friend. Revival. If he's really your friend and you're not just baloneying us, revival is bringing your sin to judgment before the judgment. So let me share a story that is in the scripture that um, I've been reading. I, when we finished the Daily Bible, I just started back at Genesis in my old uh, King James Version. You guys helped redo for me. First Bible I got, 1970-something, my mother bought me, falling apart. My friends, the McGrails, did me a present one year and got it redone. And so I'm going through it, yeah. So now you're going to have to do it for everybody. They're all going to be coming in and say, hey, uh, Sorry. So I'm reading, and now I'm up to the stories of Elijah and Elisha. You know, it's kind of like boring stuff. (laughs) And there's a phenomenal story. I love this story for a number of reasons. You might remember, the Syrians were having raids into Israel, and they picked up prisoners, and they brought them back as slaves. And not, you know, slavery, we're, we're ashamed of our history with some of that, But sometimes the relationship between owners and slaves was very warm. And in this particular case, this young girl loved her mistress and her master because the mistress and master, he was a big-time general, five-star general in the king of Syria's army. But he had one problem. He had a disease. He was a leper, which made you an outcast. And this little girl, bless her heart, I can only imagine her love for Yahweh, for God, as well as her master says, if only my master could connect with the prophet that's in Samaria. He could be healed. So Naaman, that was his name, he goes to the king of Syria and says, hey, they got this very special hospital, you know, uh, I'm thinking of the ones we have around the city, you know. It's like that, famous. That's his view of it. I can get healed if I go over there. And so the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel, says, um, I'm sending a present, this letter, and my servant, so you can heal him of his leprosy. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to send that to the president of the United States? Hey, this guy's coming to you. Heal him. And the king freaks out. The king goes, He's starting a fight. I can't, I'm not God. I can't make people alive and dead. You can read it for yourself. It's in the Kings. I can't make people alive from the dead or do anything like that. He's starting a fight. Elisha hears from God. You know, funny thing about prophets, people, he hears from God. The king is having a hissy. He's, he's, uh, he's using the restroom a lot. You know, he's really worried. And he sends a message to the king, and he says, what is your problem? What are you having a hissy about? Send the man to me, and he will discover that there's a prophet. I love this one. There's a prophet in Israel. He didn't even say there's a God in Israel. He's so identified with the word of God that that's the same. Send him to me. 
So Naaman comes to his house. It's a great story, isn't it? Are you bored yet? Are you bored? Okay. So Naaman comes to the house. Oh, this is a great um, illustration of human nature and why we need the word of God to purify us. Naaman is not yet converted. He does get converted. He comes to Elisha, and he stands out front and sends his messengers. Hey, hey, I need to get healed. He's got all these presents, tons of gold, silver, beautiful clothing, all kinds of stuff. Tons. I forgot. Was it 40 camels? Something like that. It was a whole bunch of stuff. Huge. Elisha says to his servant, you might remember his name, Gehazi. Gehazi was the servant who saw this man raise a child from the dead. Saw the finger of God raise a child from the dead. Later on, after the story I'm telling you now, he tells the king of Israel all the stories of what God did through his master. Tuck that away. What he saw, tuck it away. He sends... Uh, Elisha sends Gehazi out to the front gate, and he says to Naaman, okay, my master says, go down to the Jordan River. I know it's running a little muddy, and there's some other stuff floating down there from the farms and everything, but I want you to dunk yourself seven times in there, and you'll be healed. Naaman reacts just like a lot of us would. What the heck? The waters of Parfar, the river we got over there in Damascus, are much not. I'd rather go swim. They got great beaches there. Why are you putting me in this filthy, dirty river? And by the way, why didn't that prophet come out and talk to me? Doesn't he know how important I am? I thought for sure he'd come out and wave his religious hands over the place and heal the leper. That's it. I'm done. And his... Servants come, hey, 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 father, slow down. Wait a minute. They love this guy, right? They love him. Hey, if he had asked you to do something really hard, wouldn't you do it? Oh, fine. Can't you just see it? Make a great movie. Fine. Like that little Inglenook guy. Anyway. Don't you know the worst test is still coming? He goes down to the river. He dips himself seven times. What happens, class? He's blown away. Comes out of the water. It's gone. Do you believe it? I bet you a lot of us don't. He comes out of the water. He comes back to Elisha's house. I got to give you this gift. Holy cow. This time Elisha comes out. He knows the job's gotten done. He knows the guy's flesh had to get taken to task by the word of God. Had to. Deal with your garbage. And he did. So Naaman says, hey, listen, I work for the government back there. We go into these temples and the king bows down and he leans on my arm and I have to bow down. But I don't believe any of that anymore. I know Jehovah's the real God. Would you forgive me? Can God forgive me for that? And he goes, go in peace. He said, I'm going to take some dirt from Israel so I can put it on the ground and kneel down and worship Jehovah. He's the only God. He's the only God in the world. That's what he says. It's right in there. He got converted. And Elisha doesn't say, well, your theology's all wrong. Listen, these people do it wrong. And then he's, go in peace. You just got born again. What, in the Old Testament? Yes. And so off he goes. Here, I want to give you this gift. Nope. 
Holy Spirit told me, keep your gifts. Go. He goes. Now what happens? Gehazi sees this and goes, are you kidding me? Did you see the Cadillac in that present box? Did you see all the gold? I mean, there were stocks, bonds, you know, blue chip, everything. Well, okay, he runs after Naaman. Oh, oh, by the way, uh, excuse me, uh, Naaman, <clears throat> stop for a minute. Listen, right after you left, two sons of the prophets came, and, and my master doesn't have enough stuff for him. Can you give him some clothes and some? Here, take double. Thank you. And he runs back, and he stashes it. And then he comes into the house, and Elisha says, where were you? And he goes, huh, your servant didn't go anywhere. Wait a minute, is this the Gehazi who saw a child raised from the dead? Your servant didn't go anywhere. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? He saw it. Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes, olive groves, vineyards, sheep, oxen, male and female servants? Is that what we're here for? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cleave to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Now, thankfully, God is quite merciful and you don't end up with leprosy, but the rot still begins. It's up to you. You can bring your junk to judgment. You can go through your shock now or you can face it later. It's up to you. It's completely up to you. I'm going to ask that we stand together as we close. The word of God is a means of grace. How did this man who saw so much, how have we at times who have been in the kingdom and heard the word so much, how do we get so full of unbelief that we think we can hide it? You can't. So as we pray, I'm just going to say this. If you know it's time to go through your shock sooner than later and you want to get started, the altar's open. The elders and others will be here. Pastoral staff will pray with you or we'll leave you alone, whatever you want. I'm going to ask as we go and get our kids and as we filter out that we do our visiting back there so that if there are people who want to pray, they can have quiet here and meet with God. Let's pray. God, we bless you and we worship you because you're the living God who sees everything. And you love me anyway. And you love your people. And that's the fun part is that you want us to have our shock now because you will use us so much more powerfully if we get it over with and not wait till the end shock. So bless your people and help us this morning. Help us serve you with a pure heart. Do that work. Use the means of grace in your people. Put your angels around us. Continue your striving with us the way your spirit's working. I praise you for that. Keep doing it, we pray. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen and amen. So if you would, filter out a little bit quietly. If anyone wants to pray, we're up here. God bless you. Have a great day.